Welcome to the Social Shift Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm your host. Today, we're talking to Heather Clancy. She's an author and journalist and the editorial director for GreenBiz, where she manages their events and writes about the role of technology in enabling corporate climate action and transitioning to a clean, inclusive, and regenerative economy. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, I'm Heather Clancy. I'm the editorial director of GreenBiz. I am a journalist who focuses on how technology can enable sustainability. So that that ranges from cool uses of artificial intelligence to things that are applied in fields or on satellites and so forth. And that is my mission in life. How how did you find the intersection of technology and sustainability? I came here from a very long (laughs) journey. (laughs) I was a reporter focused on information technology. So right at the beginning of the personal computer movement, spent a lot of my early career covering these, you know, not very well known companies like Microsoft and at the time Hewlett Packard and and so forth and have always been fascinated with how information technology could make things better. So at the beginning I was thinking about people at their jobs. So you and me now can we we're at home, we're in this pandemic. Could we have done that before? I don't think so, right? So the the, the world would not have been able to weather the, the crisis of COVID-19 without information technology. And over time I got really interested in how data centers use lots of energy, these things that we rely on and throw out <laughs> every couple of years are hugely impactful as far as electronics waste. And so I started thinking about the, the sort of ways that information technology could be less bad for the planet, but also good for the planet. So then I thought started thinking about how to apply it for for environmental causes. And then what really got me into this was I got laid off my initial like longtime job covering a software and emerging technologies for a computer trade. And I landed at, at ZDNet covering green tech. They called me up and said, what do you want to write about? And I said, green tech, sort of just spit it right out. And that's how I got here. Was there a singular event or a singular moment that turned the light bulb on on the the green tech side of things, not just the tech, but the the intersection of green and technology? I think one of the things that really got me thinking about it was starting to read the sort of reports from some of the activist groups like Greenpeace and other organizations that started doing really great research on the impact of data centers. And at the time, they came out with these great reports about, you know, where the data centers of, for example, Facebook or Google were located. And oh, by the way, did you know that's all on coal powered energy and not renewables. And then also some organizations that were really instrumental, like the Basel Network has done some great work on really helping people outside of emerging nations understand just the horrific impact on people that these chemicals that leach out from electronics have in in these emerging economies and children and the people that are cleaning up, you know, or taking apart these things, you know, how badly they are in health and and how badly this could affect them. So, you know, I, I, it was really actually in the in the early 2000s time frame when I started thinking about this. It's been it's not anything new by any stretch of the imagination. I've always been very interested in the environment and this for me was like a way of marrying my two loves, technology and how do we nurture the planet that we all depend on for life. 
was this always there or was it something that you kind of came to later in your life and career? When I was growing up, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian, but was allergic to many animals with fur. And so therefore did not go into that. But from there, I was always very interested in being outside and nature. And my father always used to call me the tree hugger in the family. And I would be just very concerned with why did that happen? Like, why did they dig that thing up? And why did they they take that park out? And why have we built this asphalt in this place where there was a field? And I was just always asking questions. So very, very definitely very much interested. I have so much admiration for the youth of today. They are so much better informed about these issues. And, you know, I definitely didn't really think about climate change, but I did think about what was floating in the water. And I don't want to date myself too much, but when I was growing up, I mean, it was a big deal. The Hudson River was just horribly polluted. And I remember watching the efforts of the early organizations that went, went, you know, went to clean it up and how much of a turnaround it made, you know, and a difference it made that, that you could do something about it, you know, that you and, and I could do something about it. As we've been in this pandemic, you had mentioned, you know, information technology has the ability to make things better, but there's also kind of this dark side to it. Is our access and the availability of all this technology making things better? And what's kind of the drawback or downsides to it that you see? I would say, number one, that there's definitely trade-offs. I mean, I, I tend to see the good in things. So I tend to be an optimist. That's just my nature. So I always look for the good. As an example, I got on Facebook because it, it brought me closer to family that I couldn't see. I have a family that's flung all over the world and I, I don't really get to see them that often. But as we know, the platform can be used for very not so great things. And I don't spend that much time there anymore. I spend my, my time calling my family directly and, and having visual and video conversations with them in whatever way I can. So I think that on the flip side, and especially specifically for my job, technology has, there, there's several different technologies that have a, a huge role to play. So I would say number one is artificial intelligence, which is a really, really controversial thing because on the one hand, automation could take jobs out of the economy and, and leave people without a way of, of earning their living. But on I, from my standpoint, it's, it has a huge implication to automate many of the things that we can't do very well manually for sustainability purposes. So as an example, energy management, I'll give you a specific example, a company that has warehouses for uh, food distribution, right? You have to keep the temperature such at such a level that the food is is safe, it stays safe, can't get too warm, can't get too hot, you know, too cold actually. But you can use artificial intelligence to turn those freezers into a, a way of energy storage. So if you super cool a freezer to a certain level, and then you and the power goes out, or you choose to turn the power out, or you choose to only power, you know, power the, the systems when there's renewables on it, you can save energy, you know, but you, how are you going to do that manually? You, you can't, you, there's no way of predicting the weather conditions, predicting whether the food is, is really okay, you know, all sor sor sorts of things. Artificial intelligence also has a, a way, you know, when you combine it with sensors or with image information, you can predict where an area, a coastal region, for example, that might be susceptible to flooding or a forest that's in danger of, of being harvested for purposes that aren't maybe where you want them. So I see the good in that. The challenge will be to make sure that we, we use the right algorithms to amplify those purposes that 
that take into account things like the indigenous community in that forest area. Like how would they be impacted if you didn't do something? How would they be impacted if you did something? You don't want to have step in when you don't have to. So, you know, I, I could go on and on and I won't, but I, the thing to note is that there are going to be trade-offs. You have to think carefully about the, the benefits and the, the not so great things about each decision you make. That's actually the nature of sustainability. If you switch from plastic to cardboard at the surface level, yay, you know, no more plastic, but there's so many different levels of decisions. Like, does this take more energy? Okay, what about the trees that are being used? What can this plastic be reused? If it's, is it single use or is it reusable? So there's so many different decisions, just like everything, you know, technology has, has good and bad sides to it. Wouldn't it be nice if everything was just a little bit more black and white sometimes of like, this is good, this is bad, do this, don't do this other thing. I mean, sustainability is about the 50 shades of gray. There is no black and white. And especially with so many companies at this moment making net zero pledges, I celebrate the intention, but the details are so gray right now. Like we have absolutely no idea how most of these companies are going to actually deliver on those commitments. And that frightens the heck out of me. You know, I love that they're going to try, but we got to hold them accountable. That brings up an interesting point. What kind of concerns do you have for the efficacy of them? And do you see any teeth to them? Or does it just feel like kind of greenwashing across the board? It's not greenwashing across the board. I think most of these these uh, commitments are very well-intentioned. I think they're serious. The people behind them are serious. However, that we're throwing around terms too easily. Like the whole net zero thing, it's such a great concept for people to think about, but what does that really mean? And does it mean actual action or does it mean you're going to go out and buy carbon offsets? The thing that worries me right now, there's a sort of a, a debate going on about reforestation and is there enough land to plant all the trees that these companies are putting out? And and they're saying that they're going to plant. And it's, the answer is no, probably not. And so I want to I want to see the focus be more on actually what they're doing. So, I mean, I guess one of the reasons I'm so interested in this area is because a lot of the technology companies have been using their money in a, in a good way here. So you have companies like Microsoft and Stripe and Shopify that are actually, instead of going out and buying carbon offsets from a project over that has no real tangible benefit to their business, they're saying, okay, we know we need to do this. These are the things we're doing in our data center to reduce our power consumption. Here's how we're switching to renewables. Here's how we're taking care of changing our water usage. But at the same time, they're saying, okay, so that's reducing what they're putting out. But they're also going out and saying, now we have this money. We want to know what technologies can come out to help take carbon out. So is it direct air capture? Is it a nature-based solution like biochar that could could somehow mitigate the carbon that's that's in the atmosphere and help take some of this out? And I love that they're that the three companies I've named specifically are putting money into projects like that. They're, they're, they're not just going out and buying offsets. They're actually engaging with project developers through an RFP process and trying to put their money um, out there for good. And, and Amazon is, is in there too. Looking at technologies, for example, electric vehicles. If you think about what Amazon is doing for electric vehicles, they're really helping kickstart that whole delivery van marketplace, which has been kind of stuck <laughs> neutral, if you will. But by, by going out and using their purchasing power to get these models in development, they're helping that whole marketplace. So like a couple of years ago, people were talking about wanting to have 
electric trucks, you know, big, big delivery fleets like Anheuser-Busch and PepsiCo. But the, the orders were kind of like pre-orders and, you know, the, the cost. So it wasn't really happening. But when Amazon went big, it really kind of pushed that market forward. And so I do think there's some really interesting things that companies that have a lot of money, like the tech companies, are doing to help make it possible for other companies to get to participate. Are there other trends in the the CSR world that you see either on the horizon or that are being implemented right now that you're really excited about? One of the things that's very interesting right now is the finance aspect of this. And then this is an area where you can point to bad and you can point to good, right? So all of the big banks, and, and frankly, you know, the European banks really kind of started this, are looking at financing things like efficiency technologies that could help make manufacturing better, more efficient and less carbon intensive or renewable energy or technology for making agricultural production more precise. The whole precision ag movement, I think, is is huge. I think that also one of the things that's particularly fascinating right now for me is the extent to which companies are going to try to start using their money for looking at communities that they haven't typically looked at. So if you're going to invest in a renewable energy project, why should it be where like everyone thinks they should be like pick Texas? Why shouldn't it be in a place that maybe doesn't have as, as much access to the wind or any kind of clean energy? And oh, by the way, what if it's in a community that really has been underserved? It could be a community of color, could be an indigenous community, for example. There's tons of great projects that could be on native land. So that's a particular area of interest for me right now that's, that's really fascinating. I, I tend to look at also some of, the, some of the software tools that could help with these things. So one area that I think could be really fascinating, if you think back to the world of enterprise resource planning software, is applications that help with the carbon accounting function, right? There really isn't any kind of standardized platform today. People do it in spreadsheets. They do it once a year. It's it's really hard to keep track of that information. And I see there being, a, there's sort of a movement and a, and a rise in, in startups that are focused on that function. Is there something that you can point to or something that you see as a catalyst or series of catalysts that have gotten us to this point where we're at now, where it feels like There's kind of an abundance of riches of people working on sustainability technology and sustainability solutions where maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. Is there something that has maybe kickstarted that in a new way over the last couple of decades? Yeah, I think there's two things that are huge. One is the consumer mindset has really shifted. And I think that you can thank all the people that did all the plastic videos for that. Carbon emissions are so intangible for people to think about, but when you show them plastic washing up on beaches and you show the big piles of it caught in our oceans and you show the degradation of land in places like the Amazon or or actually in places like your backyard, you know, like this forest that was there, you know, before and now it isn't the wildfire movement, right? And that's just in the last few years, but 
the wildfire intensity, I think people are just much more acutely aware of the urgency of the impacts of this, the coastal problems, you know, people being flooded time and again and rebuilding and then being flooded again and again. And this, you know, in this sort of cycle of misery that, that certain communities are being forced into and if they have the wherewithal are moving away from, you know, people are moving. The climate migration movement, I think, is real. So I would say that the consumer mindset is just much more sophisticated, I guess. They understand the nuances of it and the youth in particular have been huge in that part of it. The other big shift has been in the interest by investors, right? So huge investment firms like BlackRock and Vanguard and pension funds that, that are tied to, you know, I think the New York one is, is, is an example, California, one's tied to religious causes. People want to know that their money is going to something that's not hurting the planet, right? So investors are asking questions of the funds that they put their money, their assets into, and they want to know, is it in an oil company? Is it in a huge plastics company? Like, what are these companies doing to change that? So the questions on the investment side has been huge in upping the pressure on the companies to do something about it. So those are the two huge forces at work. Do you think we're moving fast enough with all of it? No. And one of the reasons that we aren't is because the federal level support hasn't been there. We really did lose a lot of ground figuratively and literally, I suppose, in the last four years in the United States, which had a ripple effect because, you know, the U.S. was seen as being a leader in this um, from a national level and lost its its credibility in many ways over the past few years. The companies like really did step up. Companies and states and cities really stepped up big time in the last you know four four to five years. But you need the cohesion of some kind of strategy that's predictable and one that the people can make investments around, right? So that you're going to put a strategy in place and then, oh, next year it's going to be expired or something like that. So I feel like we keep dragging our feet and I suppose I understand why, but it's a little bit scary. That At the same time though, like the fact that people are trying and doing things, I mean, they're, they're putting little incremental bites and stuff. That's not to say that you shouldn't do anything. You got you to do something. I do wish we were, were moving faster though. Talk to me a little bit about GreenBiz. So GreenBiz is a business-to-business media company. I am on the editorial side, and so that means I manage the greenbiz.com website and, and the expression of coverage from our reporting staff and our analysts and our community, actually. We have a lot of individuals that write essays and, and contribute their knowledge and best practices to the community. I think of us as a community, and those communities are really brought together by our events. You know, We have... <laughs> count them, six events now, the GreenBiz platform, that's our oldest event. And that is core sustainability professionals. It's very much focused on strategy and career development and answering questions, you know, everything from, you know, how do you pick a good offset to what do I do when I need to hire, a, you know, a, a diverse person? Like, how can I manage them? You know, what what should I do for my team? You know, so very career management oriented. We have our newest event is Green Fin, which focuses on the sustainable finance trends that I was was speaking to earlier, as well as how companies disclose this information. That whole area of disclosure and reporting is huge and, and it's complicated and there's, there's a lot of resources put towards that. 
We have an event called Circularity that focuses on circular economy issues and the, the technologies and services that, that are coming into play to help make that happen. And our biggest event is called Verge, and that is focused on you know my passion, which is the intersection of technology and sustainability and all the different climate tech. I mean, it's really focused on the climate tech movement and you know everything, again, from ag to carbon capture technologies to new transportation, EV charging, logistics software, you know, you name it. Infrastructure is our newest focus there. And that could be anything from things like bioswales and green infrastructure to 5G, if you think about it. Like 5G is a a huge enabler of many of these things, especially for sensors. And those are the four biggest. And then there's a couple of um, newer events that are shorter and will only be virtual in the future. One is on electrification, and then the other is on net zero strategy. My role is in curating the, the thoughts of the community. I do a lot of speaking at our events. I do our webcasts, I do our podcast, and I am particularly passionate about covering climate tech, especially climate tech and how it could help underserved communities. Is there a fundamental difference between the specificity of climate tech and kind of a broader umbrella of clean tech? I think the term is really conveys the urgency of what's going on. Clean tech, it, it was really sort of like initially focused on technology. I, what I like about climate tech is that it's really focused on solutions and, and sort of fundamental systemic changes that could be put in place for addressing the climate the climate problem, the climate change issues that we have. I do also like that, that it's brought more lots of different money into it. So a climate tech solution, and this was not the case for clean tech, like it wasn't part of the, the clean tech movement, but a climate tech solution could be something focused on decarbonizing production of steel. And that is like, that is a big, big area. Like there's, there's several hard, what they call hard to abate sectors that really need attention. Industrial production is one of them, you know, so steel and concrete and so forth, as is aviation. I I think of the climate tech in that way. The other difference I think between, you know, the clean tech movement and the climate tech startups that you see is that most of them have a specific focus on trying to do better. And really they're, they're selling their value proposition isn't just this is a different way. Their value proposition really has to do with the climate in a, in a way that wasn't there before. Working in the journalism space, have you felt at all like you were yelling into a void? I wouldn't say it was a void. I would say that it was a very niche audience, right? So there were lots of naysayers that, that didn't quite understand how this focus could be good for business. It was it actually kind of mirrors the, the evolution of the corporate sustainability professional. You know, it used to be a marketing function and then it became sort of more maybe maybe as part of supply chain maybe as part of risk the point that i'd really like to make though is that this is now part of the c-suite mentality and as it became integrated into that it felt like a little bit less niche so it used to feel more niche i you know i would try to explain to people what i cover and they'd be like what you know what are you talking about and then now i mean they know the term sustainability and they know the term esg which is crazy wonderful because we all need to understand what what our role plays in addressing both. What are some ways that we practically as individuals or consumers or a group push for better standards and practices in technology, whether that's the manufacturing or the recycling or dismantlement or storage or waste of them? What are some of the practical ways that we can push for better in this particular industry? 
for one thing, understanding what the policies are in your local community and really understanding what they could be. And maybe it sounds trite and I know not everyone that's listening to this is maybe in a place where they can vote, but I would say voting and understanding what you're voting for is a huge, huge deal. But it's not just about the government. It's about knowing what company that you're buying from is doing. Like, do they have a, a way of taking that product back later? Is there really a a place a way that they can recycle it? What are they doing with it? Are they committing to using that recycled material? So I think it comes down to voting, to asking questions, be engaged. Maybe would be the high level comment there. Be engaged in what's going on, and like don't just sit around worrying about your own plastic footprint. You know that's that's important, but really understand what the producers are doing. And to your own footprint, you know, to go back to the pandemic thing, I mean, it really helped us understand that we maybe really don't need that extra outfit this season, or maybe I'll walk downtown instead of getting my car, get some some fresh air. You know, one thing that, that's kind of a little bit bad out of the pandemic is the public wariness of getting on public transportation, which is unfortunate. Like, I think that that might set things back there a bit, but, you know, be engaged, Use public transportation, protect yourself while you're doing it, you know, and and ask questions. There's a ton of good happening and a ton of positive and forward momentum. But is there still anything out there that keeps you up at night? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that I worry about a little bit is companies are going to stop. They're not going to be as transparent as they should be because they're going to get dinged when they're making mistakes. I think so. I think activism is really important and we need to put pressure on companies, but we also need to acknowledge mistakes and that, that these companies are run by humans that make mistakes and not everything's going to be perfect. And we also can't go from like, point A to point Z in one step, you know, that there's going to be milestones along the way that we should celebrate briefly and then keep pushing forward. One thing I do worry about, I guess that comes down to the sort of greenwashing thing. I'm worried there's going to be a backlash against people making pledges and commitments when they should be making them, you know, maybe just describing them in a different way. I don't know. I worry about my personal footprint a lot. I'm far, far from perfect and a little bit frustrated with how I can act on that. It does feel hard sometimes. And so, you know, like every once in a while, I wake up and go, how can I recycle more? And I guess it comes down to where you live in some instances, which is very frustrating. It feels like it should be consistent, right? You know, like, why do I have to memorize 50 different recycling laws? <laughs> Depending on where I am, you know, like if I'm traveling to California, like, what do I have to do here? You know, it's just just seems so silly to have it be so fragmented. In spite of all that, what keeps you going? What keeps me going is I see a lot of really passionate people. I, and I talk to a lot of passionate people who have such amazing ideas and so creative about addressing what's going on. And I do think there's a huge opportunity right now for climate tech wealth. This isn't just altruistic. I think there's a real opportunity for companies to make money on addressing climate tech, climate change, and people making money that that weren't necessarily acknowledged by Silicon Valley. So I, so like the thing that's really exciting to me is that many of these climate tech companies are not in California. They're in totally different areas of the world. They're coming up from everywhere. They're run by people of color. You know, like I'm seeing more and more diverse founders being acknowledged and funded. And that's exciting. You know, it's just like, I love seeing the shift women, that women are, are really focused on this in particular 
obviously I'm a woman, but, but I feel like there's opportunity for just about anyone in this if they put their mind to it and if we help them get there. To learn more about Heather and her work, head over to greenbiz.com or find her at greentechlady on Twitter. The Social Shift Podcast is a production of Third Shift Creative. Come say hi online or start a conversation by sending an email to hello at thirdshiftcreative.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Social Shift Podcast, and we'll see you next time.